Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And many of you who follow us here know that we are so, so, so ingrained and entrenched in the art of communication effectiveness and our passion around helping other people communicate with more purpose and more power and more impact. And you know what? We share that philosophy and that vision with today's guest, uh, Dr. Marilee Adams. Uh, I am so excited for you guys to hear from her because uh, not only is she an author, she's a consultant, a facilitator, an executive coach. She's a professional speaker. She's the CEO and president of the Inquiry Institute. Uh, She's also an adjunct professor in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Uh, She's just an all-around guru when it comes to the topic today that I'm excited about because her book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, has sold darn near close to half a million copies and mostly through referrals of people who've read it and given it to other people. So, uh, Marilee, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. Well, I'm really happy to be here. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Where It turns out we're both nerds about this topic, so <laughs> we'll have fun. Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I, you, you have so many great quotable quotes out there. Um, a couple that I want to open with today. Um, you said that you can tell how smart someone is not by how they answer questions, but by the quality of questions that they ask. Tell me a little bit more about that. I love that quote. Um, the quality of people's questions relates to how they're thinking about the other person and the situation. So they're not just thinking about what they want or what they need. They're really um, um, intrinsically interested in, even empathically interested in what the other person is thinking, feeling, and needing. And when that's where you start, your questions will naturally be high quality because that ha- it has that baked into it. You know, it's funny in our in some of our training sessions, we we show a picture. We have a we have a picture. I want you to visualize this. It's got four images on it. It's got a picture of a doctor. It's got a picture of a of a counselor. It's got a picture of a reporter, and it's got a picture of a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And we ask the group, say, you know, what are the differences between the agenda of the types of questions each of these professionals ask? And, and you can see people's kind of minds swirling around. They're trying to figure out what I'm getting at or what our, our facilitators are getting at. And ultimately, what, what the answer is, is that the doctor and the counselor, they ask questions in order to further your agenda. Whereas a lot of times a reporter and a lawyer are asking questions to further their own agenda. And, and I find that fascinating. So what you're saying is, it's really the mindset, we're going to get into this from your book, which I love, the mindset of where you're coming from and how you're thinking really does dictate, you know, one, how well you care about other people. And two, whose agenda are you on? Right? That's right. And the mindset that you're thinking from and communicating from overrides everything else. So even if you're not asking the quote, right question or perfect question, your mindset and your intention in the communication is what will speak loudest and have the greatest impact both on the other person and on the dynamics of what happens between you. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about this in some of the other episodes. We talked with some of the neuro researchers around this, what we coined at Brain Trust, self-preservation orientation. 
that we all kind of wake, wake up every day from a mindset of self-preservation. And if we don't recognize that, we're going to get into this a little bit with some of your descriptions in your book. If we don't, if we don't recognize that, then we will kind of have the ability to override that to other people's preservation, right? <laughs> we won't ask great questions. We'll ask self-serving questions. In fact, you, you talked about the ask-tell ratio. You did some work in this space with leaders, good leaders and, and, and not so good leaders. What'd you find in that ask versus tell ratio? Well, let me tell you how I get to what I'm about to say. So we, over... 20, 25, almost 30 years of doing workshops, mostly in person until recently on Zoom. Right. Um, when I'm working with, with um, leaders or managers or coaches, I'll put people in dyads and ask them to describe uh, in, in two rounds. First, um, who are the, somebody who was really a terrible example of a leader, a manager, a coach, tell them not to use names, of course, but all I want are the characteristics, qualities, ways of relating and communicating. And then we do the same thing with um, the best ones that they've known. We put it all on a flip chart for those of you who do flip charts. And then we go over um, and, and with thousands and thousands of people, the descriptions are practically the same. Then after we have established a composite of what people consider the best and the worst leaders, managers, coaches, et cetera, I'll say, hmm. Now, in terms of communication, let's start with the worst. And let's, uh, my question is, what percentage of their communication is telling and what percentage of their communication is asking? And typically what people will say, remember this is thousands of people over time, they will say approximately, for the ones that they can, the composite of worst, they'll say, well, they tell about 80% of the time and they ask maybe 20 and the asking may not be helpful asking. Right. So, so I get my information from that I'm describing to you from a composite of thousands of people answering that question. So then we go over to the side of the flip chart that says, um, this is your composite of the best leader, manager, coach. And I'll say, so um, for this description, what would you say is the ask-tell ratio. How much of the time do they ask and how much of the time do they tell? And I caution them, don't take the easy way out and just reverse it. I want you to really right. think about it. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll start out with, they ask about 20, you know, 80%, tell about 20. And they say, oh, dig in a little deeper. And they'll realize that um, it's somewhere between 50 and 80% asking and the rest telling, and the kind of asking. Now we get to the quality of the questions and whether there's a consciousness of the other person. Um, the, the preponderance of the asking has to do with finding out about the other person, finding out about their goals, their concerns, their obstacles, what they want, what they care about, other people around them. So, um, I derive that ask-tell ratio 
from thousands of people who consistently say the same thing. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would probably disagree with you on the ratio. And I would say that it probably applies even across not just the professional world, but personal lives as well. Right. It applies to coaching your kid's little league team, parenting. How many times do we just tell our kids something versus asking? My wife was a big fan several years ago. I think it was Dr. Dobson came up with the love and logic. I could be wrong on that, but the love and logic concept of parenting where you you ask your kids questions Mm -hmm. and then give them options so they could start to choose the right path, right? Well, I was raised by a Marine, so I got told a lot. (laughs) Uh, And so it was a big change for me, right? We'll get into switching questions later when we get into your book. But um, I think that's a really, really important point that, that really intelligent people who are really good leaders in all aspects of personal, professional, they're great question askers, right? That's just part of who they are. Right. And I'll add something since you were raised by a Marine, which I didn't know until this moment. Um, It depends on the context. So if you're a Marine in battle or preparing for battle, there may be more telling. But if you're a Marine who is thinking strategically about A, B, C, or D, then they will be asking themselves and others lots of questions and the quality and the quantity of those questions will be different. So it's not, I, I want to uh, get your father, I'm assuming it's your father, off the hook. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I think we talk a lot about that, that context and environment absolutely matter in the way that you communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we'll get into this in a little bit. I also, we are strong proponents here of, of neurochemistry, knowing that how the words you choose, whether you're telling or asking, the words you choose will activate different levels of different types of neurochemistry in the mind of the listener. And, and are you consciously aware as a, as a communicator that you're doing it versus just accidentally stumbling across that style of communication? Oh, it's, it's, it's actually more than neurochemistry. It's actually, I'm going to give you a quote um, from Rick Hansen, who is one of the better writers about neuroscience in a very practical way. And I hope I get this quote right. It says, your brain takes its shape gradually from what your mind naturally rests upon. Mm. I'll say it again. Your brain, your physiological anatomical brain takes its shape gradually from what you routinely rest your mind upon, which means that the thoughts we're having ultimately, literally, and and, uh, the neuroplasticity that can occur, that the thoughts we're having, about which we have more choice than most people realize, literally, ultimately contribute to the shape of our brains. And what's so exciting about that is when you learn how to ask questions from what I'm going to call learner mindset. Your your listeners don't know yet what that means. But when you learn to ask questions routinely from learner mindset and not from judger mindset, you're literally impacting the, the anatomical brain. Yeah, it's great. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes because I think it's going to tie really nicely together with what you have in, in your book. So in Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, 12 powerful tools for leadership coaching in life. And I love that this is not, this is like a, this is like a manual, right? It's, 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 it's a application. It's a field manual for asking great questions. And by the way, 
it's a story based. I'll tell the listeners it's a story based book. It's not uh, some type of a of a textbook. This is very well done, and obviously we know stories are the best way to uh, teach people, right? So let's get into this. So you talk a lot about judger versus learner mindset. That's a big concept in the book. Can you help the audience understand the difference between those two? Sure. We all have two mindsets that I've labeled judger and learner, and we always will. So these mindsets can shift from minute to minute to minute. And the mindset that we're in is going to alter what we perceive um, of ourselves and others and in any situation, what's possible. And we'll also um, pretty much determine or at least highly impact how we're thinking and feeling. So if we are in judger mindset at a particular moment, we're going to be more closed-minded, more needing safety, um, thinking in terms of either or. Uh, and when we're relating to people, we'll have in a, it'll be in a, like a win-lose moment of relating. And it's also much more critical and um, judgmental. And no, judgmental is not the same thing as good judgment. So that's judger mindset. And remember, we all have judger mindset. And the reason I can say that with so much confidence is judger mindset is associated, uh, for those of you who um, have any acquaintance with emotional intelligence and the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's there um, for our protection and survival. So it's always looking out fearfully and protectively for, um, um, it's got a negativity bias because it's there to protect us. So that's all associated with judger and we all need judger. And because it's anatomical, it's, it's neurological, we're going to have judger anyway. We all also have a learner mindset. And when we're in learner mindset, we're more open-minded, accepting, appreciative, discerning, um, thinking, um, both and rather than either or. And our moments of relating from learner are win-win moments. And what's fascinating is um, these our mindsets shift from moment to moment. When we can begin to recognize, our observe our thinking and observe the questions and the statements that we're thinking with from the perspective, is this learner, is this judger? then we have a way to manage our thinking on a moment-by-moment basis, uh, which makes it very practical to, to use this methodology. And I know you have more questions about that. But I, I, uh, this is what excites me about it so much because it's not just the ideas, it's because I watch them working with so many people and organizations and teams and leaders and um, and I have to say how many of them will say to me either um, during coaching or during a class or a workshop, they'll say, well, I know this is really great stuff, but what I really love is it's affecting how I relate to my spouse or my in-laws or my teenager. And um, that makes it for me really worth it to do all of this. Well, that's ultimately what 
if we're in this for the right reasons, that's ultimately why we all do this, right? It's at the end of the day, nobody cares about our, our great professional accomplishments. That doesn't usually get listed on the tombstone. <laughs> what gets listed on the tombstone is that, you know, the impact we had on others' uh, lives in a, in a way that was meaningful. And that's what I love about this work. Now, you said something that's really intriguing to me. So, so judge your mindset is focused in from a point of view of self-preservation sounds like, almost rooted in a little bit of fear, um, whereas learner mindset is a fe- already feels a, a little bit more safe, if you will. So it's open to more others-focused ideas. It's also open to change. It's also more open to new ideas. So that is that, is that about, is, is that, did I pull that together right? It's a summary, yeah. Yeah. So here's the, the, the question I have then, and let's use a business example. So we do a lot of work with, with sales professionals. Mm-hmm. Now they're going in to meet a prospect for the first time. Now, my guess is you will say, now you might correct me on this. Both of those parties, the prospect and the sales professional tend to walk into those engagements in judger mindset. I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> and instinctively, that's their, that's their kind of default. Is that, is that right or wrong? Well, let me explain that because, um, and we train salespeople. A lot of salespeople come to us. So first of all, I don't know anybody who likes being sold. So people naturally, I'm going to make a claim, have a kind of judge or defensiveness in, in, in a selling situation because they don't want to be sold and they don't want to be dominated and they don't want anybody to be manipulated. So I think that is in any kind of selling situation that's likely. Um, it won't happen if the person that the salesperson they're talking to is in a learner mindset, which is not designed to do any of those things. It's, it's planned and expected that um, the, the salesperson is really curious about the other person's needs and concerns and is thinking about what do I have that can make a difference with this person? And in best, the best case, if they don't have anything, they would tell them and make a recommendation or say, um, I'm not sure I have anything for you, but um, here are some interesting questions for you to think about. So I want you to get some value out of our conversation today. Yeah, I love that. And what we try to teach, and I think that I'm going to try to put it into your language now, is because of self-preservation, when I go into a meeting with a prospect for the first time and I'm in judger mindset, um, I'm in judger mindset one, because I got the wrong mindset. Two, because something's at risk. And so for me, there's stress. So cortisol's up. Something's at risk. I might lose because this is how I make a living. So now there's something at risk, which tends to make me more transactional, which tends to make me go into more self-preservation mode, which tends to make my default setting one of judger mindset. When to overcome all of that, the, the irony of the whole thing is, is you could actually be at less risk and have more uh, success if you could just adopt the learner mindset going into the call with that prospect. Is that right? Yeah. And let me add a little piece to it. So if you go into the call with curiosity and intention to be helpful and questions like, what's really going on with this person? What can I learn? What might I have that could make a difference for them? And you're listening from that. First of all, you're intrinsically more engaged. They know it because people can tell. Oh, yeah. And also, you're thinking long-term, not short-term. So 
uh, you're thinking about creating a relationship that might extend. If you're thinking short-term, then the self-preservation thing is, okay, how can I make this deal now? If you're thinking long-term, how can I add value to this person? And over the long-term, um, what might we be able to create together? What might And what will make it also comfortable for the other person to take my call again? Right, <laughs> you know? right. But we say this a lot. Some of my clients are probably tired of hearing us say it, they're listening. But we found over all the years of all, all this research, we found there's actually a secret to making your prospects uh, believe that you care about them. Which I think I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. See if you can answer. That you actually do care about them. You actually have to care about them. Who knew, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the secret. Uh, I love it. And this same thing, though, I think I want to get into some of the art of some of this and get into your choice map and a lot of that here. But the, the, to me, um, your motivation your mindset, all of this in preparation for a conversation that you're having with any person. I think sometimes we just jump into things um, willy-nilly. We jump into conversations, we jump into engagements, and, we, and when we do that, it's almost creating a transactional environment, which causes us to kind of lean into judge your mindset. And I think reading your book and, and listening to what the work you've done on some of your videos as well is that you got to train yourself to actually adopt a learner mindset because it's not always intuitive for us kind of coming out of the womb because <laughs> of self-preservation, right? I mean, isn't that, you kind of kind of build, learn, learn how to have a learner mindset. Is it a skill? Well, it's two things. First of all, um, at least two things. Um, we all come out with a learner and judger mindset because everybody has both. Um, judger is neurological because if we don't have an amygdala, we're going to be in big trouble. Um, and it also becomes a habit. So a habit gets caused by um, environments that we're in. So let's say we're in a home environment that's very judger or a school environment or a workplace environment that's very judger. Each of those environments are going to impact the mindset that gets reinforced. So it's just the way it is. And I've certainly worked with a lot of organizations and teams and um, where judger culture is the norm. Right. Um, so in order to counteract that, people need to, and we all naturally also have learner, but sometimes it gets squelched along with curiosity because even as very young children, um, if our curiosity gets squelched, so does our ability to learn and develop. And so um, by helping people resuscitate their curiosity and their natural urge and need to learn, then it becomes more natural. And there are skills to develop, as you said. So um, we spend a lot of time in our workshops and in our consulting teaching people how to recognize mindsets and how to um, get out of the grip of judger, and sometimes we'll call it a judger hijack, and build a learner habit. And as we know um, from some very good research that's more recent, um, people don't necessarily get rid of all habits, but they can learn to develop stronger ones on top of them. So when we help people develop the the um, the habit, which is 
can be redundant, that can be replicable, that gets reinforced because learner becomes self-reinforcing because it works so well. Right. And there are specific ways to learn to do that, which is why you and I will have business for the rest of our lives and beyond. Thank goodness for that, right? Well, you're kind of getting into this idea then of the what leads us right into the choice map. So you created this concept called the choice map. Tell, tell the audience about the choice map and how it shows the path there of the learner versus the judger and the types of questions and all of the different things that you teach. Um, with pleasure, because I love the choice map and that's because so many other people love it. So for, for your listeners, first of all, the choice map is an illustration. So it's an illustration. It's in the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And also, um, when you get the information about this podcast, there's going to be a code in it that will allow you to get one for, for no charge. So I'm going to describe it right now. Um, and then later, if you want, you can get one and you can see what it looks like. So it's it's a little cartoony looking. And what it describes is... When something occurs to us at any moment, thought, feeling, circumstances, um, what we do next is what's most important. So you've probably heard the expression, it's not what happens to you that matters, it's what you do next that's important. So the choice map lays out two paths and their mindset paths of what we do next. And we can go the judger path, which is more automatic and reactive, and frankly, more the default position because we're human. Um, and then the map shows that if you keep going down the judger path, which is, um, we go down it with questions like, whose fault is it? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? Um, and we end in what... Um, my clients affectionately call the um, the judge or pit. And we've all been there. Me too. I'm sure you too, Jeff. Um, so that's one path to take when something happens to us. Then you can imagine going back to the beginning of this sequence and go, so something happens to us. Um, we can also take the learner mindset path. And we're asking ourselves very, very different questions on the learner mindset path. And um, it goes up and sort of towards the mountain and the sun. And in fact, it actually goes off the page, which you'll see if you look at the visual of it. And that's because from the learner mindset, that's the place where we actually can be innovative and come up with new possibilities and create new futures, which we really can't when we're in judger. And then there is... Um, a, a, a switching lane. So if we find ourselves on the judger path and we recognize non-judgmentally that we're in judger, we can ask a switching question or do something somatically like take a good breath and use that to move ourselves up towards the learner path. And um, I created this 25 years, more than that ago. I still use it every day. And so do people who study with us. They, they um, have it memorized. I've gone back to companies and government agencies to do workshops 10 years later, and people will say, I still have that choice map on my wall. Yeah, that's good. Because it's so useful and, and so sticky. Um, so what I, what I love about this is, is it sounds like, you cover this in the book, 
there's really, I don't want to oversimplify this, but there's, there's two types of questions. There's a lot more than two types of questions, but there's two categories of questions I'm going to present to you is the questions you ask yourself mm-hmm. and the questions that you ask others. Mm-hmm. And is there, when it comes to that mindset and knowing that you're having the awareness that you're on the judger path, that starts with questions you start to ask yourself, right? But sometimes we notice we're in judger not because of our questions, but our body is telling us. So it could be we get very tight or grimace or notice we're not listening. But I want to um, focus on what you just described because it's very important. And most people are not aware that they're asking themselves questions all the time, like all the time. And that the things that we say and do actually come out of the questions we're asking ourselves. So there is a theory of thinking um, that's embedded in all this. And Jeff, when you and I were talking before the interview, we agreed that we were both nerds, that, that we really like the theory part of all of this. And I think it's exciting to discover that our self-talk, our internal dialogue is actually a question and answer phenomenon. And what we usually think of as a thought is actually an answer to a preceding question. So if we can discern the questions that we're asking, we automatically have a way to intervene with our thinking because we can think about our thinking. We can think about the questions that we're thinking with. We can ask ourselves, is that question likely to get me what I want? If not, um, what other question could I ask? And we ask a lot of judger questions. So if we can start making an intervention and people can do it for themselves by, by managing their judger into learner, it's going to have a, a highly leverageable um, ripple effect everywhere. Yeah, I love that because we, we often say that, you know, the, the most important stories, we're big in storytelling and the most important stories that you tell are the ones you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. But what I love about this is it starts with the, I don't think people really think about that way is every thought you have, every feeling that you've initiated started with a, it's usually an answer to a question that you ask yourself, you didn't even realize you were asking. Right. And, and that creates a mindset and that, and then now having this guide to know, well, what mindset is that in? I think Carol Dweck did some wonderful work in her book, Mindset, right? With a fixed mindset versus growth. And some of that was more genetic component, but the same concept of recognizing the mindset that you're in. And now is that mindset going to serve you well, or is it not? Is it going to serve others well, or is it not? And then to your point, the switching questions can start to, the switching lanes can come in, right? Yeah. And let me add something because I think Dweck's work is really important work. And, um, the learner mindset is roughly equivalent to growth mindset and judger mindset is roughly equivalent to fix. Um, what's important is knowing that you can switch mindsets. So that's where the growth part comes in. So our work is very complementary. There are some differences, but there are no contradictions. And um, learning how to recognize the mindset and the questions so the mindsets and the questions kind of come together. It isn't you ask a question, then you say, what mindset? It's the mindset gives rise to the question. When we can observe the question, then we have power over it rather than it's being in charge. Reacting to, right? Right, exactly. I love that. Okay, so here's another thing. I want to go down to some practical steps here in a minute, but um, 
I've often said that, you know, in, intention doesn't always lead to impact. Sometimes your intention might be good, but the impact might be negative, right? Uh, and other times your intention's bad and the impact's negative. Uh, when it comes to how folks think about asking questions, like that, now let's get into the practical. Let's say I'm a professional communicator, which by the way, I don't care what you're doing for a living. If you open your mouth and words and words come out of it, you're a professional communicator. Um, it, it, as a professional communicator listening, how do they think about crafting effective questions? Is that something that you teach in your sessions? We teach a lot about it. Um, I want to make it really simple for right now. Um, I'm going to give you a question to design your questions with, uh, which is what impact do I want my question to have? Or what do I want to accomplish with my question? What that does is automatically have you think about the other person and impact. So I would counsel people, particularly in the midst of a conversation, which is different than if you're in a strategic conversation and really focusing on designing. But in the middle of a conversation, you don't have time to go, well, wait a minute, let me think about my questions. But if you just start thinking, what impact do I want to have? You're automatically thinking about the other person. And hopefully you're thinking about wanting to have an impact that's helpful to them, that makes a difference. That will have you naturally ask questions that are more um, empathetic, that are more generative, that are more useful for the other person. Yeah, these are these are tied hand in glove to, to listening, right? So we talk a lot about that. I think it was Covey that said, you know, most people listen with the intent to respond as opposed to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, I think about even my personal relationships with my spouse, my kids, many times we're in judger mode, we're in tell mode. Mm-hmm. And, and the questions we ask are more self-serving in nature. And we just kind of do it reactively all day long. And it kind of carries over that mindset can carry over into your, your job, your career and all that aspects of it. And so when we're working with coaches, we're working with sales professionals, we're working with people that are out communicating for a living. You're right. There's times when you have to, in the moment, recognize how you respond mm-hmm. in situations, but there's also a time for planning and preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, meaning that I, I can't expect a great coach to just intuitively in the moment of impact ask great questions. I have to, I have to help them develop the skills to know what types of questions to ask that'll have a positive impact that's mutually beneficial. What advice would you have for that in the preparation? Oh, I have a lot because I train coaches right. and um, change your questions is the story about an executive coach. Right. So um, there are a couple things here. First of all, um, and this is a concept that not many people are awake to, which is um, we listen with questions. How we perceive and listen is is determined by the mindset we're in when we're listening. Wait, let me pause you. Stop for a second. I want to prove the point. You just said that, and my brain said, well, what does she mean by that? See, I, I, I listened by asking a question about something that you just said, which is uh-huh. what we, we do that all day long, right? Absolutely, except that we don't usually notice it, and you're <laughs> noticing it, which is cool. So I want to give you an example, a couple things here. I'm going to ask a question this, um, from, from each mindset, and I want you to tell me what's the impact, Perfect. okay? Perfect. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do and it. And your listeners can do the same thing. So, And I'm going to exaggerate this, so be careful. <laughs> Love it. Let's do it. So the, the first one is, 
So I say to you um, as a coachee or whatever, I go, why did you do that? Just notice the impact that had. And now take a good breath and let go of that impact. Sort of relax a little bit. And now I'm going to ask you another question. Why did you do that? So, Jeff, did I ask you the same question? You did. Yes, I was much less defensive the second time. (laughs) Wait, wait, let's go back. Was it really the same question? No. It was the same words. Same words. Totally different question. Totally different question. So that's what I meant when I said mindset overrides questions. So we, um, and people typically cringe when I ask the first way and they, and they sit back, you know, like this approach you avoid. And then when I ask the second one, it's purely from curiosity. Right. So notice impact. Now, I, I want to illustrate the listening with questions part. So if I am listening to you or I'm listening to somebody else and I'm listening through the question, I won't make this about you. I'll make it about somebody else. If I'm listening through the question, well, what dumb thing is he going to say now? What am I likely to hear? The next dumb thing. Of course. (laughs) And you could have made that about me. It would have been appropriate probably. (laughs) So recognize how much power we have as a listener. Because if we can listen to the questions we're listening with and ask, if I listen with this question, what results going to occur? And I can change the questions I listen with. So now I'm going to ask myself, what valuable thing is he going to ask now? And what am I going to hear? That's one of the, jeez, if you got nothing else away from the episode today, I hope the listeners just pick that up. Because I, I, for me, that's a new concept is that I'm, I'm viewing the world through questions. I never really thought about that. And so then based on my mindset and based on my attitude, what type of questions am I subconsciously reviewing my world through? Because it'll absolutely impact what am I, what, what questions am I listening through? I love that concept because it'll impact how I actually ask questions and interact with other people. That's really, really powerful. And listening is so powerful as a communication and this makes it practical. And by the way, people can tell where you're listening from, even if they can't articulate, articulate it. Yeah. You, you got, you're getting into, we could, we could do a whole other episode now on tone and body language and all that with questions as well. Right. So, well, listen, we're up, we're up against the time here. So I want to do this. Um, I, I'll, I'll end with another quote that you gave, and then I want you to point listeners to places where they can learn more about you and your work. Um, you said a question not asked is a door not opened. And I love that in your book. Um, it's just such a powerful visual for me is that, that idea of curiosity. And, and remaining curious. If I couple that with whose agenda am I on and what questions am I listening with? Uh, boy, I, I, I need to go. I, I'm going to go back and listen to this and take a bunch of notes myself because I need to be a much better communicator when it comes to the art of questioning. So where, where can we send people to learn more about where to get your book, where to learn about your workshops, where they can learn all the voodoo that you do? That you do so well. That's right. <laughs> I like it. There we go. So, uh, My website is inquiryinstitute.com. 
Um, you can also get the choice map for free by going to the website as well as what I told you before. Um, we, we're a consultancy. So we, but, and everything that we do with coaches, with organizations, with leaders, with teams, with communities, with nonprofits is based on some of the concepts that we've been touching on today. So um, we do courses and right now, I mean, we, we do globally, we have lots of people globally who are joining our courses and uh, or who you use us as consulting in major organizations and government agencies. And the and we teach coaches and we teach coaches how to work with this material in their coaching, which is really wonderful to do. And of course, I do um, keynotes and all that. And we also have um, some virtual things that people can use. There's one thing called Seven Days to Learn a Living, and it's a product that people can use to go deeper. Um, and uh, a choice map course that we're going to be also offering. And if if some of your readers may have already read Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, I would recommend rereading it because it might live differently for you after listening to this. And if you have further questions, I'm now speaking to all of you out there, um, send us an email, send me an email, and there's a way to do that on the website. Love it. So for those who might be listening, not through our website portal, if you're on uh, one of the other uh, you can just go to the go to the landing page, braintrustgrowth.com forward slash podcast. You'll see Marilee Adams' episode on there where you'll also see all the links directly to inquiryinstitute.com and your download, uh, a downloadable choice map. I encourage you to get the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, if you haven't done so yet. Uh, Marilee, it was an honor to have you on. I know I learned a ton, so I'm sure our listeners learned a ton as well. You're the best and, and keep doing the great work that you're doing out there. And the same for you. Thank you. And this was really fun. So thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.